Welcome to the Toxic People Detox, a practical guide for finding peace in the midst of toxic people. It's not about changing them. It's about changing how you respond to them and doing so in a productive, healthy way. My name is Dr. Shayla D. Williams. Today's guest is Tamori Richardson. She is an expert motivational speaker, and she is speaking presenter for NAMI, that's N-A-M-I, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, with the goal to help fight the stigmas of mental illness. She's an award-winning Toastmasters international speaker and author. She just finished writing her second book, first novel entitled Trusting Someone Else's Heart. It's an autobiographical story on how she overcame betrayal, domestic violence, and dishonoring her marriage and rebuilt herself into a much better version of herself. She speaks on women empowerment, social issues, domestic violence, and encouraging the need to stand up for yourself in all facets of life. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, quite welcome. Reading your bio, you said that you found yourself in an abusive, unhealthy marriage. So I want you to take us back to right before you got married. Where were you in your life? Did you have a, you know, yourself established or, you know, what was going on at that time? Absolutely. Well, I was definitely established. I'm the mother of two children. And I believe around that time they were about seven and eight. I've always been a very ambitious uh, individual. So I had my own business operating. I was a functioning person. I have a strong family unit. So uh, everything was in order for me. I mean, of course, you have different things that go on in life and you deal with them as they come up. But as far as life being pretty, pretty content, I was in that space. Definitely. Mm-hmm. In the process of leading up to your marriage, I mean, you said this was abusive. So were there any signs you might you think you missed in the beginning or is just you were at a point where you just didn't see anything? You know, I think speaking for myself uh, and meeting other domestic violence victims, I think there's always something that we saw. But what we did or what we tend to do as women particularly think we can love something away or I'm not going to worry about that. That's not too big of an issue right now. Or we'll see it and overlook it because of whatever our end goal is. And one of the biggest signs that I should have looked for was meeting his family. And had I met his family, forget all of his bad behavior, had I met his family, I certainly would not have continued in the relationship because it was a prerequisite of what I was going to deal with with him. Dealing with family dynamics, it's it's like if someone comes from a certain background, it's possible that they'll exhibit the same? Or do you think that, you know, people can change and get away from that. I think absolutely people have the ability to be their own individual and step out. So you can come from abuse and know that that's not something as a man, if I've seen my father abused by mother, I will never touch a woman. I will respect women. I will honor women based off of what I've seen. Or you can be a woman that uh, did see your father abusing your mother and know that you'll never get with that type of, of man. You'll never be that type of woman. But more so than not, your family is not just a blood connection. It's also the culture that you're raised in. And if you're raised in a culture of violence, a culture of degradation and disrespect of women in general or men in general, you have to have a special might. It is certainly possible. It happens every day. But more so than not, we find that men and women succumb to the culture of their family more so than just having the blood connection. Okay, so now that you've 
married this person, you're in the relationship. What was that first sign that, oh, this is not a good position that I'm in? You know, I never claim to be wife extraordinaire. I'm, I I come from a, a, a wonderful family. I love hard. I'm very loyal to, to the bone. Loyalty is huge with me. But I never claim that I'm the best wife in the world. I'm the best anything. But I noticed with him almost immediately after we got married, every other day he was angry and aggressive. And it just came out of like almost after we said, I do the anger and aggression. I could do nothing right. And then uh, the attempts to talk down to me, and I'm a very confident, a very strong person, but that was almost becoming his everyday thing. And I'm like, geez, I, I know I can't be that bad at how I operate. Why is this kind of going on? But I had nothing to compare it to. So I kind of shrugged it off as, I don't know, maybe I'm doing something that's displeasing him that he has to act out. So that was my first signs of it. Mm-hmm. And was this before, well, actually, you just said I do. So after you had children. Well, my children now are 13 and 14. They are not his children. Um, they are from my uh, first husband, uh, my uh, their father. So I came into the children, to the, excuse me, to the marriage with children already. So they were not his. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I, I get it. And so now he's in a situation where he's being aggressive. It, it, it hasn't turned physical at this point, right? Right. And it, when did that start? I would say probably two months after we got, well, two months after we got married, there was a lot of anger and unnecessary aggression. And then I found out almost recently after that, that he, he was a drug addict. I found drug par paraphernalia in the home and I wasn't familiar with how drug addicts act or how people under the influence. I had nothing to compare that to. I found the drug paraphernalia in the home and could not believe it. I didn't know exactly what it was. So I did some research and contacted people that I know, found out what it was. Then we found out four months after that, he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and schizophrenia because he would actively have voices in his head instructing him actively. And so I didn't want to end up on an episode of NCIS. So we immediately, <laughs> we immediately yeah. sought out uh, psychological and psychiatric help for that. You left the marriage eventually? Well, I, I eventually did. So, I mean, here's what we, where the biggest problem for me that I learned, because keep in mind, at this point, I know nothing of mental health. I know nothing of addiction. I know I married mm -hmm. someone. I understood right. as a child that, um, and growing up with a religious background, that unless the certain, unless there's adultery or unless there's death, that you hang in the marriage for better or worse. So I understood those things were sealed in for me. He did start going to treatment. I didn't understand that the treatment really was to keep me quiet because he wasn't interested in sobriety. He had no interest. It was a fight to keep him in the world of um, he had dual diagnosis because he had a drug addiction and because he was bipolar disorder, schizophrenic. So seven days away, seven days a week, he went to treatment and I went to treatment with him seven days a week. He went to AA meetings in the evening. I went with him in the evening. Now, mind you, while I'm spending all this time devoting to him, I absolutely am spending no time on my own life. I'm not focusing on what my needs are. I'm not even focusing on the fact that I am building up a huge anxiety that I know that I never had before, that I, my confidence is being shattered because um, there's a lot of aggression and verbal and mental abuse. He never put his hands on me. So let me be clear. Um, there were instances where that could have happened, but he never put mm -hmm. his hands on me. But you be called the B word enough. 
you'll be berated, you'll be threatened to break your neck, you'll have these threats and you know the person is capable and you know in their past relationships they were beating on women. And I didn't find that out till after we were married. So I know there's the potential for violence. I think at some point I was making sure that I wasn't a part of that statistic with him. In and out of treatments, he was probably in half a dozen psychiatric facilities, they'd work. But you know, it's all about their dedication. I ended up filing for divorce probably our third year because he went into a mental health facility to get situated on his medication because like most bipolar disorder individuals, they stop taking the medication once they start feeling better, but not realizing the medication is why you're feeling better. So he went into the facility and started having a sexual relationship with the mental health uh, caseworker in the facility. Yeah. So once I found out about that, I had stretched my boundaries enough. I don't do infidelity. And so for me, regardless if it was under uh, the geyser of addiction, and I knew when he went in there, he was really in a bad place. I understood that. But you have to still, as an individual, have places that you just won't allow somebody to take you. And I don't believe in coming in behind another woman at all. So that's when I filed for divorce and decided that, you know what, I've put enough time and energy and have received nothing at least emotional. And it was time to move on. And I had two children that were looking at me and how I was operating. I had to move forward. Definitely. Right. There are a couple of things you said there. You saw some things, but because of a certain way you were raised, except for infidelity, don't leave the relationship. Now, what do you say to people? I know they have a strong religious background, but they might be in this either emotionally or even physically abusive relationship and they're afraid to leave. What would you say to that? You know, the first thing I thought, I thought of a couple of things. I'm one of five children. I was raised with four older brothers. I'm the only girl and the youngest. And for me, the first thing I thought of when I was getting ready to get out of this is that my brothers alongside with my mom really took a lot of time and energy to how I was raised and the type of young woman that I was supposed to be and that they had put the time and energy in. And they certainly didn't raise me to be any man's verbal, mental or physical punching bag. That was the first thing. And they didn't know anything about it. I made sure they didn't know anything about it. So when this all came out, this was all a surprise and shock to them. The other aspect of it is, is that when you think about being in any type of religious structure or reading the Bible, everything that correlates the man to the woman is about love. The man should revere the woman as his, as he does his body, the respect and honor that we're supposed to show each other. Nowhere in there does it say that I should take a hit. I should be demeaned. I should be disrespected, that I should be dishonored. Matter of fact, it references to the man and his role as headship. Now, I'm not trying to put men on any other platform because women have a role as well. But any relationship that requires you to be subjected to mental, physical, or verbal abuse is absolutely not what God had in mind. And if you're reading that in your Bible, you read the wrong Bible. God is a God of love and his intentions is only for us to be loving to one another. And I knew that I was made in his image and I was not made in his image because of some stuff that happened to my ex-husband that I had no dog in that fight between his mother and father and what they created. So I knew I had to move forward because he couldn't love me because he had no love for himself. So anyone dealing with this situation absolutely love yourself and understand what the word of God is about. And it's not about abuse. We have a God of love. Why would he ever condone someone abusing you or you being in an abusive situation? He would not. So. And you said that your emotional needs weren't being met, but right after 
you know, you're starting to say, I'm going to start doing some things for myself. So what are the, some of those things you did? Well, the first thing that I did is I went back to who I was prior. You know, keep in mind, I, I stated that I started, I've always been a very confident person. I couldn't make a decision to save my life. I was second guessing because he would often tell me things that were, were not. And then after a while, someone manipulating your mind, you start to believe, well, maybe I didn't see that. <laughs> maybe I didn't hear that. So I had to work on getting my confidence back. The first thing I did is I sought out a therapist. Because I needed to be able to move forward. I was having severe anxiety. My um, therapist uh, diagnosed me with PTSD and depression, and I knew I was dealing with those things. I do understand marriages end every day. My biggest part was the betrayal of marriage. I believe you can get out of the marriage and not have to dishonor your wife or your husband in the process. It could never be that serious. But he, in a state of drug abuse, and his associates and who he associated with, that was the only way he was able to do what he did. So I started first seeking counseling so that not that I can put the blame on him, because sure, there's plenty of blame to go around on him. But I needed to see how I allowed myself, an intelligent person who's never been in an abusive relationship, who's been seemingly, you know, operating in the way I need to, could have fallen into this type of a situation. So I needed to put the onus on me and figure out how do I move forward and make sure I never, ever, ever in life meet this type of person again. And so you have to start with digging you out. And that was the first thing that I did was sought out uh, therapy to get me back on track. Yeah, I hear that. And it's something you said, how do I make sure I never get involved in the situation? What do you say to that lady? What would you say? Uh, here's what you need to look for, ma'am. Right. You know, I actually, there were, there were several signs, the getting upset at the drop of a dime. I remember when he told me he had five kids. He didn't. He had nine kids. Well, we're married at this point. And I thought five was a lot for him, but then nine was, uh, it was an egregious number. But kind of how he was managing his life and me trying to figure out how to make his life the way I operate my life, as opposed to when you get with someone, you really have to be in a position to accept them wholeheartedly who they are. And if you cannot, then that's not the person for you. But changing someone often doesn't work. But I promise you, had I met any of his relatives I would never have married him because they were a poster picture of the dysfunction, the disrespect, the abuse, the drug addiction, the mental illness. They were loud and proud. It would have helped me know that this is probably what you're going to be dealing with. And even if not, you need to ask more questions. So the family connection is crucial in relationships. It really is. Now we're going to move on to when you started speaking, when you started building your business, how do we make that connection? You're out of this, you've seen your therapist, and now you're about to do some things. When I was married, I didn't care anything about mental illness. I didn't know anything about it. So you hear people are bipolar disorder, and you're like, yeah, whatever. But when you, when you start to deal with something, it becomes a whole nother beast, right? So... I took my story as a part of my therapy and I entered it into my Toastmasters International Speaking Contest. And I won first place, of course. And um, when I got to the convention where you give your speeches in front of a large crowd and a large audience and all that, 
And I finished speaking and I came off the stage. I had a line of people, I kid you not, that wanted to shake my hand, tell me their story. I had women that were crying that they were going through the same situation, either with someone with bipolar disorder or someone that was abusive. And what I understood at the moment was, is that words are beyond powerful and what we do with them. And I think we all have an obligation to be of and in service to one another. And so I felt that if I can take my platform, whatever that is, and I can give that information and share it with any man or woman, because men are susceptible to uh, domestic violence as well, and give them another way of thinking or, or let them know that I've been through the same thing. And when you're ready to get out of it, just know that there's a whole nother world and life waiting for you. That became my mission to make sure that at least another woman knows that this is not OK. I understand why you're in it. But when you get ready to make the transgression out, then let me be a sister in the struggle with you. And tell me about, of all the people who came to you after your speech, uh, what's a story that stood out with you the most? You know, uh, two women. Uh, one was uh, a lady was with her best friend and he was a, a guy and he said, go up to her, go up to her. And I'm just looking because she's crying. And and um, I kind of reached out to her and I was like, hi, I was like, what's going on? He says she is living your exact life. She was there with her best friend. He says, while you were speaking, I told her, listen to you. She is living your life. And she was crying. She says, I didn't think I could get out of it. She says, look at you. She said, I know I can get out of this now. I told her, it's all about you loving yourself enough to know that the situation you're in is not what you should be in. And then I gave a speech um, in Sacramento and a lady came up to me, her son, um, bipolar disorder, um, cursing her out, being very abusive with her. And I think because she's the mother, she felt like she, you know, I'm stuck to deal with this. And we just talked about different treatments and I referred her to resources or whatever else. I still stay in contact with her to this day, but I just think that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to help each other. And that puts a smile on my face to know that if you feel a kinship with me, that's everything. That's everything. I think it's important too that people realize they're not alone. You know, for some reason we think, oh, we're the only ones in the world and they, out of billions of people on earth who are going through what we're going through. Right. Very true. There, yeah. It really is true. And when you're in a, a, a toxic relationship, you have to keep in mind that the toxic person who has all the power and control loves the relationship. They don't lose anything. They've got all the power. They've got all the control, probably in charge of the money, get to tell you what, when, where, how, and why. And the person who is in that lesser role is jumping to those submissions. So they've got nothing to lose. It's really about you understanding your importance and working on how much you love yourself because it's not even about them. And that's what I, I helped me in therapy to understand. I can blame him for everything. Of course, he's to blame. It's about why, when, where, and how I allowed myself to get into this. I'm not blaming me for it. Of course not. But when you make the transition of how I'm able to move into a place of self-care, he's irrelevant. He's very irrelevant to me. I don't mention his name. I don't badmouth him. I don't. I tell my story because it's the story that he gave me to tell. And I make sure that it's of benefit to other people. But I don't badmouth him. I don't hate him. I don't love him. 
I'm just moving on with my life and it's fantastic. That's a powerful story and a powerful testimony because some people just won't take that responsibility. Even, you know, you have someone who's abused and of course, like you say, that person had his part to play. But then for some people, it stops right there. So wait a minute, what about your part? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And and one thing when I do domestic violence keynote addresses, I kind of go into them differently because you can get hung up on the emotion and how could he or how could she, that doesn't benefit you in moving forward. And so I try to move forward with the listen. He or she was already messed up before they met you, before they even thought about being, this is, this is childhood stuff. My ex-husband was abused as a child. This is childhood stuff. I didn't have a dog in that fight. So if I wasn't there to create it, it's presumptuous of me to think that I can prevent it and stop it from continuing when I wasn't the one who created the mess. So I tell him it's not your job to fix that man or fix that woman. It's your job to be the best you that you can be. And if the relationship is not conducive to you being a good individual, a happy individual, you have to make the changes in your life that you need to. But it's an extra it's an extra mind control when you think that you can control something that's been in play for years. And once I understood all of that, I'm like, oh, my gosh, there were things going on with this guy way before I met him. I was never going to have a normal relationship with him, if you will. And I don't use the word normal. I was never going to have that. He didn't have it to give. He did the best that he could with what he had. It's just for me, it was detrimental, harmful, abusive, and destructive. So it's up to me to make a decision and move on. You know, I'm so glad you said that because, believe it or not, my understanding of toxic people came from what you just said, that whatever's going on for this person, I had nothing to do with it. This was going on before the person met me, so I do not take responsibility. Right. That's right. Okay. I love validation. Oh yeah. And I think, uh, (laughs) I think uh, a a lot of times we get caught up and wrangled in the, I want to save you. And listen, I'm a woman. You you see somebody that you care about and you think you can help them. And and that's kind of what we do. But sometimes helping them is uh, allowing them to be with them and you not be with them. And sometimes helping them is moving forward and letting them know that I'm not going to allow you to mistreat me. I I thoroughly believe the only reason why I probably was not physically abused is because I have many brothers. There would have been a retribution from that. But it was not something he was unfamiliar with. He was very familiar with putting his hands on women. We just have to take personal responsibility and, and know who we really are and understand that there are a lot of damaged people in this world. And if someone comes to you and they're missing puzzle pieces, I promise you, you don't have the pieces. They were already missing before you got there. And don't try to go get fake pieces and put them in there. It's not going to (laughs) work. Yeah, I like that analogy. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, so your website is T. Lenane Speaks? It's T. Leanne, T-L-E-A-N-N-E, speaks.com. And uh, yes, yes. This is, is it for speakers or people looking to book you? Uh, what is this website? It's, um, how do you get in contact with me? I have um, my first book on there, um, 10 Steps to Becoming a Highly Effective Public Speaker, because I do a lot of public speaking. And it's, um, I get a lot of uh, contacts for individuals who want me to speak 
do presentations or speak. I do a lot of mental health speeches. I keep myself acclimated on the mental health world. I do a lot of speaking for NAMI. I have actually two speeches today and I have a, a big webinar tomorrow, but it's kind of to let people know what I'm doing, have some of my speeches and if they're looking to book me. But I also get people who contact me who want to communicate about what's going on. And um, I get that. I get that on my Facebook as well. That'll, you know, kind of tell me the situation that they're going in. And um, I'm like, let's talk about it. I'm here. Besides that, anywhere else on the interwebs, people can find you? Uh, yes, I am on Facebook under T. Leanne Speaking Pros. And that's uh, T-L-E-A-N-N-E Speaking Pros, LLC. You could probably find it under Tamori Richardson as well. I think they kind of coincide together. And then outside of that, if you Google my name, I tell people this all the time, everything that I'm doing pops up. I have a huge webinar. I'm a, I'm a member of the National Coalition of Black Women, the Oakland East Bay chapter in Oakland, California. And tomorrow, 630 to 730, we are having a webinar, Mental Health, the Black Experience. And I'm one. I'm the moderator as well as one of four speakers. So, you know, we speak about the importance of mental health awareness month. And um, but usually if you go to my website or if you Google me, you'll be able to find uh, all the things that are going on and uh, Facebook as well. So, yeah. OK. And what I'd like to do as we close out, I give my guests the final word. So any um, I mean, you, you drop some nice uh, wisdom bombs on here, but anything you want to leave with my audience. Absolutely. I, I think we all from one time or another find ourselves in some type of toxic relationship. There should be no dishonor in that. It happens. We don't always know the person. I think you dishonor yourself when you know and you can do better and you don't do better. So it's not in getting into a situation with someone that you don't know that has all these problems, but Love yourself enough to ensure that you be better, you have better. And if you have kids, your daughter's going to emulate the man that you pick and your son's going to become an example of the man that you have picked for him as a father, stepfather, boyfriend. It's important that they become front and center. So loving yourself, loving your kids is always the, it's always the way to go. Definitely. <laughs> 